a podcast about Phoenix Rising Football Club. I am Kellen Olson, your host of the proceedings, joined as always by my co-host Jake Anderson. Jake, we had a week off. We talked to Zach Lubin. We come back and you said to me the best you've ever seen Phoenix Rising play. Absolutely. 5-0 win at home against Tulsa. The magic of dollar beer night, it never ends. It just never ends. And to the point where they played the best match you've ever seen, and you've seen a whole lot of Phoenix Rising matches. I haven't seen as many as you, but this season, it's the best that they've played, in my opinion. I think several players had their best individual performances of the season so far. Just a really complete and utter thrashing of Tulsa, which not a terrible team. If you would have seen them, and I saw that uh, first 30 minutes, and I went to go look at the standings, I was like, surely Tulsa is one of the two, three worst teams. They already have four wins this year, a couple, couple draws as well. And they just got outclassed. Yeah, absolutely. And a little record tidbit is it's the most goals ever scored by rising at Casino Arizona Field. But it's not even about the goals. Obviously, that's the end game. But the way they were passing, the one-two touching, it was almost perfect. It was right through their, each and every one of the lines of Tulsa. And the finishing was sublime and... The, the biggest statistic to me, and again, I, I talk about statistics. Soccer is a visual game. It's more about the eye test. But the one statistic that really stands out is the number of shots and shots on target. And the shots on target, or excuse me, the amount of goals Rising had was almost double the amount of shots on target that Tulsa had. That just shows the dominance of the game overall. I want to say... Rising had the first nine shots of the game. Yeah, um, Tulsa did not get a shot off for quite a while. And the possession numbers ended up at about, I want to say like 56% for Rising, but it, sh- it was probably, I would guess, somewhere around 65-70% in the first half. And Tulsa kind of got going at the, at the uh, beginning of the second half. We'll talk through the whole game. I mean, they were on him from the jump. This was not something where it was back and forth. And a lot of these games, I, I think what, what has happened is we've seen a fairly even game. Maybe Rising were slightly better, but then their quality kind of not bailed them out, but just pushed them through in the second half and got that second, third goal to really go ahead. But this was just domination, like I said. And you would see the first goal and think, oh, well, that's just kind of a lucky goal that only happens once every couple of years that you see. Uh, James Musa, who was pinging that thing around all game, I thought he was tremendous. Uh, he was playing a couple long balls. This was not a one-time thing to Adam Jones for the incredible volley. He had a couple to Asante, too, that weren't resulting in the best goal of the season, probably, but it was... Uh, how was it live, seeing the goal? The first one, it was my my angle because on TV, it's to everyone's left, but from the press box, it's to my right. And as soon as he hit it, you could see that that ball was A, over the keeper's head, and B, going into the back of the net. And somehow... The USL goal of the week current standings do not have him in first. What? I don't understand how... Uh, I mean, Musa sent that ball from next to the center circle on rising side of the field. One-touch volley. I, it's like every week, Adam John finds a way to score a more impressive goal than the last. He, he's on fire, and something we're going to talk about uh, looking ahead is Junior Fleming's going away to... Uh, to 
play for Jamaica. Uh, Kevon Lambert's already there. And and they are going to need Adam John to stay in the form he is in, which is arguably the best form on the team, uh, I would say. Uh, but in this in this whole first half, I think in the whole game as a whole, I thought the midfield three, uh, Musa Bakero and Aguinaga, all three of them, that's the best I've ever seen them play. Musa in particular, I looked at the stats, 74 passes, completed 92% of them, had 10 long passes, 64 short. He also won nine of his 15 duels in the midfield. And that's what he's really out there for, more of a defensive presence. But I think that he proved his worth moving the ball, too, because that's where you look at Bacaro and Aguinaga and even Fernandez when he gets back healthy as the guys who are mainly going to do it. But I think Musa has like, sort of proved a point the past couple of weeks that he can – and it's not about like the 80-yard ball on the volley yeah, or whatever. That's and, not going to happen passes, like, That's not going to happen all the time. It's just the fact that he was able to control the game. And what I liked about the first half especially was – they were moving it around. You see a lot of the times when the possessions quote-unquote reset and they go back to the back line and they kind of assess things for a second, it was quick fire. We weren't seeing much of the center back holding the ball up, maybe a quick one-two um, with the defensive mid to kind of reset a bit. They, they kept going. They, they were playing fast while holding onto the ball, and that was really enjoyable to watch. Yeah, definitely. I think Musa's a hundred percent confident in that holding role where we've seen Bacaro been in the last few matches, and Moose has talked about that. Bacaro got to move slightly upfield, which I would want to say he would like to do. He is such a playmaker and a distributor. Obviously, Solo and Flemings they played. I don't want to say like that's what they do, but. Week in and week out, we continue to see it. That's the same performance as we see. Solo's passing it around, and it's the diagonal balls from him and Junior Flemings. It's obviously going to be tough to be without Junior for potentially up to a month because Jamaica's made the last two finals. So if we're <clears throat> if we're looking at the team going forward, we're going to have to expect that there's going to be some makeshift positioning in there. Perhaps Bercaro plays on the wing, and Colin Fernandez is off the injury list now, so he will be making a comeback eventually. And we might see Ben Spencer in different positions, and Andrew Wheeler, uh, a kid that I have not seen play until uh, last match. And I'm not sure if it was his first touch, but it was definitely one of his first touches, and he just coolly passed it in the back of net on a great pass from Solo. Just outside the box, bottom right corner, like nothing. Uh, Solomon Asante scored. Junior Fleming's had two as well. Fleming's, for me, in my opinion, has been the best player for the team this season. So I think that losing him right now, um, I think it's easy to craft the narrative of being like, oh, they've lost four of their last five, and now they're losing their best player. But the way they're going now, this is finally the team that we were kind of... If you weren't familiar with the expectations for Ryzen coming into the season and you listened to us the first couple of weeks of the season, you might have been a little confused. And now you're not confused because you're seeing the quality that we expected really from this team. Of course, not to that level, but they've won four straight in league play. The the dollar beer night run continues. Um, Man, a complete performance. Zach Lubin, fresh off a podcast appearance, made one (laughs) of the best saves of the season as well. I don't want to take full credit for it, but at least some credit. Um, I, I again, I'm looking up and down the sheet, and usually, in in especially in a game like this in soccer, you can look at a couple of guys who struggled. Maybe, and I, I think everyone was great. Not even not even just average, but great. Sean said that he wasn't 
100% thrilled with Solo's performance. He said that he maybe took a couple shots that were too far, what have you, but Solo's passing ability is sublime. And the defense you were talking about with Lubin in the back four, the team didn't step off the gas pedal. A lot of teams, oh, 5-0, 4-0, we can afford to just not run back. Clean sheets are very important to this team. We've heard Shantz talk about that time and time again. We had Zach on last week, and obviously a goalkeeper never wants to get beaten. So the fact that the team continues to get shutout after shutout speaks to how well they've been playing lately. And this is actually going to be the first game this season that Junior Flemings will not be on the pitch at all. So it's going to be almost a new rising for the next few weeks, the next few matches. But I don't want to say this is the team we expected, but these are almost the results that we expected. Not every game is going to be a thrashing like that, but three points is almost an expectation for this team every game. So I think where we where we go next is is next week, of course, and in, in the matchup coming, and we should say this week uh, against Orange County, the last thing they lost against on Saturday. I think it's very important for them to be at home right now because, man, talk about it. So would we? The, I'm not familiar with this enough and the feeling around the selections and stuff. Do you think Jason Johnson would have been away too in this situation? I'm not sure. Yeah. I would lean toward no, okay. just because the last time there was an international break, he didn't get called up and he wasn't hurt at the time. And the fact that he isn't a starter also hurts his eligibility or ability to get called. If you're not getting minutes on the pitch, it's hard to see if you're in form or not. But I call him the super sub because... You bring him in and put him on the wing, and you got fresh legs, you got fresh pace and skill. In a perfect world, you would like to see your guys playing at the international level. James Musa is a New Zealand international, but uh-huh. unfortunately, JJ got hurt, and it's kind of next man up. But I bring him up just to say this is exactly the situation that we were talking about. We brought it up a little bit when there were other injuries coming up and they had to kind of get creative with their... They had Baccaro playing a center forward role um, in some ways, but this is exactly the stretch where you're, you're rolling and Jason Johnson can come in and it's not like much has changed. At, despite losing, who in my opinion has been your best player and, and no one can argue that he hasn't been one of the three or four best players for the team overall. And that's the value of having his depth and why that injury really really was a big blow. Uh, what are you willing to take away from the Orange County matchup we saw this year already uh, heading into this one? So I think the fact that the winning streak started immediately after that game speaks volumes to Rising in terms of how Shantz has prepared and almost grilled and drilled this team to get focused. We heard Zach talk about how they have one goal and they're a long way from it. Even though they're second place in the standings right now, they are focused on a USL championship trophy it's I don't want to say championship or bust but I mean after you make the final and you see the players that they've brought in you know to replace Didier Drogba and Chris Cortez this match in particular this is a team that I think everyone's very familiar with a team that rising fans aren't particularly fond of but the fact that Orange County since that has only won since the Rising game, has only won one game and they've drawn four 
And I'll throw in the fact that they lost to Orange County FC in the Open Cup. They are Orange County SC. The form rising are in and the form Orange County are in, it's going to be here. It's going to be hot because I'm already feeling the heat every day. I think this is a game that would be almost a statement as this is rising, this is real, this is going to be our season, our conference to try to take, and especially the fact that they have three games coming up in the next week. To correct myself from earlier, um, that was, uh, I said, Adam, John, I think he missed the game, but this was the era, the time I was referring to was when uh, Asante was away. I believe it was two games he missed. Yes. This was this was one of them. Uh, they actually ran a four-two-three-one, at least uh, according to the USL site. That was John up front with Aguinaga, Lambert, Flemings, Calistri, and Fernandez in the midfield. And it's going to be interesting to see what Schantz uh, decides to do with Flemings out because he has been just as important as Asante is to the right side and him sort of creeping into the midfield and keeping possession going when they need him to. Flemings just every five, six minutes in the game, just a darting run up there and helping back defensively too. It's it's going to be crucial uh, for them. I'm, I'm very, I think this is one of the most exciting games for me, uh, looking forward to it at least, just because this is um, not only to avenge their last loss, but without Flemings, it's a big test, and, and maybe on um, Asante and John more than others to really carry the attack without their best attacker this year, in my opinion, off. But all three of them equally have been excellent, so it helps having all three of them be excellent, so when one goes away, the other two can still be excellent. We'll see if they can uh, hold that up. We're going to kind of go rapid fire here to end the podcast and on a couple of other football items. Uh, Women's World Cup is underway. You, oh yeah, the oh it is <laughs> the United States. If you weren't uh, aware, you are now. Dropped a thirteen burger <laughs> on Thailand. Tough stuff for Thailand. I was living it up. I love it. I have always had the mentality in really any sport, run it up, whatever. I mean, we're all competitors here at the they're end of the day. They're all professionals. I, I, they're all professionals. Everyone understands what's going on, and I don't think that there's any. I don't know. Where, where did you land on that entire discussion? Because, of course, there were obviously going to be takes that came out. They were like, that was unsporting. How dare yeah. they embarrass themselves like that? And look, stop them if you want to. Like it's, It was just, it was that, but it was also, the, I think that the strangest element of this was just more at how, I don't even want to say unprepared Thailand was, just overmatched in every sense of the way. Because it's not like if they really wanted to stop them. They could have. I think they got defeated sort of in like the last 20, 30 minutes. That's where the U.S. really poured it on. But they were barely, I believe they had two shots and they were both outside of the box and nothing pretty much. Like they didn't have a shot in the box or anything like that. It was it was brutal, but amazing to watch as a, as a U.S. supporter. It was only 3-0 at half. Yeah. I mean, if you were only checking on your phone, you were going to be like, oh, okay, they're doing well. And then you check the final score and it's like, oh, what what happened? The last time these two teams played, and I learned this during the during the Sweden lightning delay. There was a lot of time to have the analyst talk, but Heather O'Reilly is one of them, and the last goal she ever scored was against Thailand, and I didn't know that coming in. And So I expected the U.S. to win pretty handedly, maybe not 13 nothing. And like you said, people were going back and forth, and they were talking about how, you know, this is not soccer this is not you know this is the women's world cup this would never happen in the men's but don't forget germany got or excuse me germany beat brazil 7-1 in a semi-final 
Uh, Portugal in 2010 played North Korea and, and beat them pretty badly too. Because we have to remember, the tiebreaker, if you end up tied on points in your group, is goal difference. And I think the United States, in their group, if they were to finish tied, they're going to win the group. That's how you guarantee that. And for the run the score up or take it easy argument, I will always be on the... I don't want to say run the score up because you're trying to, but these are professionals. And they know their job. You, you'll you never see it in another sport to where they really just go, oh, okay, we're going to take it easy now. And I think that's more insulting than continuing to play. But I, I will agree, Thailand at the end, especially you saw it, they kind of just gave up. In all honesty, they were kind of just like, we're tired of this blow the whistle kind of thing. You And you saw it from the keeper at the end. She didn't even dive a couple times, but she was kind of hung out to dry <laughs> all game. I, I will give her that. You have Alex Morgan, not just the five goals, but the one where she just stopped it on a dime, turned, and then just put it in the back of the net. Yeah. And I loved how each girl was celebrating the goal they scored. Yeah. And even though the game was already won, coaches mm-hmm. were celebrating. Did you hear how loud it was? Yeah. There are a lot of United States fans yeah. in France right now. And there's a potential that France plays the United States in the quarters. That'll be a game that I cannot wait to watch. Should it happen? And because those two should win their group and the next round game, they should play each other. And there's a level of the celebrations where you can react to one of them and be like, okay, maybe that was too over the line or whatever. They were just, they were just happy. Yeah. We scored goals. That's the goal of the game is to score the goals, and they did them, and they were happy. And I was happy to see Carly Lloyd got hers right oh, at the yeah. end. Megan uh, Rapino, who's my favorite player on the team, yeah. I think, especially back when they won the World Cup in 2015, she was the most important player. They are. I can't remember watching them be just more lethal, though, and maybe I'm biased by the 13 goals and such, but like Heath and uh, O'Hara, I believe, is the right back. On the right side, it's just disgusting. I don't see how <laughs> teams can like really stop that. And then um, I think it was like Lavelle. I want to say is is the little midfielder. I'm not. I can't remember what her name is, but she's she's not she's not that tall. But she was so crafty with the ball in a way that I've few seen um, someone uh, on the United States women's team really step it up like that. I'm really excited to keep watching them and really excited to keep talking about them. Let's quickly, unfortunately, hit on the Gold Cup at the end. Oh boy, um, it is it is quite a transition period to be a United States. Men's, men's national fan? team supporter. Uh, I have been through the thick and thin. I've been through the Wando blunder against Belgium. I've, I we, saw him score twice when I was in Toronto for a Toronto FC game. And in my head, I'm like, where was that against Belgium? <laughs> We've been through it all. Uh, at least it, it seems like this Gold Cup maybe is going to be more of a getting to know period and a transition period. I, I, I've, I've read that Bradley and Altidore are still on the squad and expected to be amongst the guys used, but there's just a lot of new names and new faces and not really on like the, we know about Pulisic and all that, but it's all these names that aren't really incredibly heralded, I would say. And, and they're that's not household names. They're not household names and the, and them not having household names right now when household names are moving out of the, out of the system um, is problematic. It seems like Mexico's tournament to lose, right? We'll see what happens, especially with the last two friendlies they've had. I, I don't love taking friendlies very seriously because it's a non-competitive match, so to speak. But at the same time, you do have to evaluate your players within that. I think the fact that 
the big household names aren't playing in these friendlies, for the most part, shows that he's really looking for who's going to make that final 23 for the Gold Cup. Obviously, the United States comes into every Gold Cup with one goal, win. And when I saw Josie Altador play in person for the first time in Toronto, A, I didn't realize he was the size of a barn. The guy is enormous. <laughs> Unit. But also, his back-to-goal ability, and that's something that I've always loved as a forward. Again, Adam John has that ability. Oh. But going forward with the United States, if a full team's out there with the group they're in, and again, I don't want to take away from the other teams, especially Trinidad and Tobago, because we know very well that they can beat the United States, the full United States team. But if they can use those first couple games, that group stage games, to get that continuity together, because the way the tournament is set up is Mexico wins their group, United States wins their group, they play each other in the final, but as I mentioned earlier, Jamaica has been in the last two finals. Finished second, unfortunately, for Junior Flemings and Havon Lambert, but I would say the United States, Mexico, like you said, it's their tournament to lose, as always, but never never count out Jamaica and, and some of the smaller countries that have proven that they can compete with the big boys. Yeah, Costa Rica is uh, is one team to keep an eye on. I'm just looking at odds right now. 12% chance of winning that group. Of course, Jamaica, we're going to be keeping an eye on our boys Lambert and Fleming's out there. Hopefully Fleming's get some run because if you're just looking at a, a trend in, in international tournaments like this, form in their season plays a factor into it. And if they're keeping an eye on his form for Rising right now, boy, they should play him. Uh, Mexico, 31% chance of winning. And the U.S., 43%. So the, the U.S. are the favorites. I think the most telling stat that I found... Uh, while looking into this and everything, there's the game against Trinidad and Tobago, of course, uh, which is next week. That's going to be the biggest one in the group, of course, because of the circumstances in which Trinidad and Tobago ended their World Cup hopes. There are only five players on this World Cup squad that are that that were on the squad uh, for that match. That's uh, Bradley Altidore, Pulisic. Paul Ariola, who I'm a fan of, and Omar Gonzalez, who I'm not a fan of. <laughs> you don't you don't like the six five center back? Uh, he's he's up and down for me. It's yeah, just, we, we've I been through agree. a lot with Omar Gonzalez, and I'll just leave it at that. All right, we'll be back next week to talk about another Phoenix Rising match against Orange County. Hopefully, this time a win. Keep up the winning streak in league play. We'll talk to you then. Peace.